Hello and welcome to this episode, the training and external audience one, of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm Andrew Jacobs. Before we start, I'd like to remind listeners we're seeking guests for two special episodes we're recording later this year, the menopause one and the disability one. Please do get in touch if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast. We asked people what they want to talk about and almost a year ago one of our guests proposed this topic. Every topic on the podcast is suggested by the audience, so we're delighted to get this one out to you. We're also delighted to have two experienced guests on this episode, which made recording a breeze. Our first guest is Holly McDonald. Holly is the owner and chief spark of Spark & Co., a custom e-learning firm based in Canada. They specialise in designing and developing instructional products for external audiences. Holly is a whale nerd and a kayaker who loves spending time in the great outdoors and she's also a sucker for good dog videos. Our second guest is Helen Bailey. Helen is the award-winning Head of Learning and Development at Strategy Solutions, and has worked in learning and development across a variety of sectors, including education, healthcare, retail and transport. She's passionate about mental health, leadership development, inclusion and evidence-based learning and development, and about creating impactful solutions which drive real business value. There's a lot in this episode for everyone, you don't need to be an external trainer to get some fabulous advice from this recording. Recorded in February 2023, this is Women Talking About Learning. This is Holly and Helen talking about external training. So uh, we're here to talk about the external audience. Um, this was my topic suggestion, so I was very keen to come on this podcast Um and pontificate on the external audience. And um, today I'm joined by Helen, and Helen and I have not had uh, any conversation about this, so this is going to be a completely, um, just a completely off-the-cuff conversation between two people who I think will have some interesting things to say about um, the external audience. So do you mind if I give you a little bit of background as to sort of why I thought of this as a topic and then I'd love to hear your perspective Helen. Absolutely go for it Holly. Wonderful so um, part of this is is because um, in my business I have found um, that this is a a market that I didn't know existed and and it was um, I sort of ran into it as um, as a bit of a uh, like an unexpected, um, uh, an unexpected market. And so I wanted to explore it a little bit because um, I've also been working in this external market since about 2010. So, um, you know, I feel like I've got a few, uh, a few things to share. Um, and then the other reason that it really appealed to me was that, it, well, actually the two other reasons. One is I, I hear a lot of um, uh, sort of bad-mouthing content. Oh, people are just content pushers and, uh, you know, well, we, we spend too much time and energy on content. Um, so I wanted a little defense, like in defense of content. <laughs> yeah. It's not all bad. Bad content <laughs> is bad, but that doesn't mean all content is bad. Um, and the other is just, um, uh, I've seen a bit of a trend around um you know, thinking about uh, using marketing or, or having a marketing approach, which uh, to me comes into um, external audiences, but it's not um, uh, it's not sort of the the end all be all. Um, 
and I think uh, I wanted to come and, and talk about the external audiences because uh, I have a particular view that when we're dealing with instruction uh, with external audiences, we're creating instructional products. So I take a product approach, and I use all these product uh, frameworks and and methods and and um, models that I think help us make better courses or you know improved content. Um, and it includes marketing, but it's not. It's not purely just uh, a solution of, well, if we just marketed uh, our, our content better, um, you know, we'd have a, a, you know, a better outcome. So all kinds of bits and pieces in there that I'm hoping one of them sort of draws you in. As I, as I pontif <laughs> pontificated, what, what stood out to you, Helen? I can pontificate with the best of them, Holly. So uh, I think we'll be in great company there. I think it's really interesting, isn't it, this idea of the external audience and how that feels different to the internal audience. And I spend a lot of my time in that world because um, I'm very client-facing. And I thought it was really interesting what you talked about when you talked about bad content. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, it's not necessarily bad content. It's sometimes the way it's delivered as well. And I think, you know, we spend a lot of our time, we, we do lots of free events to a certain extent to show people not only what we do, but how we do it, because that to me is fundamental to, to kind of how we how we move it on. Um, and it's about getting people to know us, because I think with our internal audiences, generally i kind of know those people already i have a relationship with them with our external audiences that's a little bit different because until we're kind of in there with the client with the culture really understanding really talking to people dealing with people then we don't have that opportunity to know those people as well and i think sometimes i always cold. wish yeah it's, it's, it's quite cold isn't it and sometimes i wish that um you know, we got a better briefing sometimes from people about their culture and how they do things, because that makes us better at what we do. Oh, I totally agree. Um, yeah, for me, one of the interesting things about thinking um, internal audience versus external audience um, is that an internal audience um, can be a little bit of a closed system mm -hmm. like and i guess for me when i'm thinking you know we build uh e-learning solutions you know custom e-learning solutions for our clients and some of them are uh employee training so those, that's what i would call an internal audience um where you know you're you're in my world anyway we're you know giving them a, an e-learning course they'd put on their lms they already know okay who works here you know uh Oh, if people aren't doing things, there's we can use the managers to you know pull some levers and uh, and whatnot. We can look at their performance. You know, we we've got a little bit of a closed system, and then we have clients where um, you know we're building an instructional product that they're either selling or they're putting out in the world. Maybe it's a nonprofit mm -hmm. and they want you know they're trying to change behavior in the world, and so. That's an open system that there are an awful lot of factors that we can't really predict and we can't necessarily construct uh, the same kind of solution we would for an internal audience. And, and to me, that means, um, you know, there's a whole lot more um, to think about. You know, you, you're putting out um, a training solution or an e-learning solution because you want people to 
change. Mm -hmm. You want to change, you want their behavior to change. And I think when you're dealing with an internal audience, you've just got to, it's just a different, um, it's a different set of circumstances and more, more levers within your control. Uh, When it's an external, you're like, I I don't know, is anybody going to click on this button and take my course? Well, (laughs) you know, maybe. (laughs) Maybe I'll just, and I think there is an element of, uh, you know, when, when you're when you're dealing with external audiences, quite often you get asked to do things in a sort of quick and dirty way, if you know what I mean. It, it's kind of come in, do the solution or whatever solution they've kind of thought about, and then you come out, but you never see that through to fruition. Mm. So all you know is that you've done your bit. Whether that was successful or not, you're not always going to do that unless you don't see that, unless you have an ongoing relationship with that client. And I think sometimes that can feel a little bit lonely within the external audience space because you've gone in and done your stuff and then you've come out again and then you go somewhere else and do it. And I think for me, some of the more satisfying external audiences I deal with are when we've got a long existing client and I kind of get to go back in and talk to them about it. And and where they're really interested in the evaluation of it as well, actually. I find that quite interesting that, that mm-hmm. you know, being able to see things through and really being able to talk about where it's added value. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, that lonely comment is mm-hmm. really, you know, it's really, um, uh, is very true. And, you know, that, that external, um, you know, that external perspective where you, you really don't know where things are going to, to end up. Um, and you, uh, you know, you to some degree have to separate yourself from that. Uh, that outcome can be really, <laughs> can be really hard because, um, you know, we all need that sort of feedback, even if, you know, not, not, hey, you did a good job or the solution worked, but more uh, around, oh, is this something that we should do again? Or is this something that, you know, that fell flat on its face? And, you know, I think one of the benefits of um, uh, of organizations that aren't internal is that you do have this real, um, you know, kind of cross pollination opportunity. You you know, you probably work with lots of different clients Mm -hmm. as we do. uh, And we can go, oh, they they tried this. And, you know, "Hmm, I wonder if this would work in this organization. Uh, or for this problem, <clears throat> excuse me, um, which I think, you know, makes the industry better. You know, the more think, we know yeah. if solutions have worked, I think it just makes us uh, better L&D folks. I think actually the opportunity of working with various different organizations makes us better. I, I think because we really have to be really hone our skills. So before I, I, I arrived in my current job, I've done lots of interim work, which means I've worked in lots of different industries, doing lots, it's always been L&D, but a variation on the L&D role. But I just think it, it makes me sharper in a way um, because I've had to kind of react and respond to lots of different uh, things. And, and there's not a lot of stuff, I'm going to say this, and this is going to be famous last words, isn't it? There's not been a lot of stuff that can phase me now because I've not seen it all, but I've seen a lot of things. And I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, I've seen this work here. So I know that I can place that there as well. And I think, you know, that that adds to sort of the credibility of it. Because I do think, and one of my questions for you, Holly, is one of the things I've been thinking about is, do you think that people have a a higher expectation of an external person coming in to deliver Mm. something? 
Probably. Probably. I mean, so I've been, um, I've been external for 16 and a half years. Mm -hmm. So the memory of being internal is pretty faded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was a long time ago. And, you know, I've worked with probably 75 organizations Mm -hmm. um, with my business. So I'm like, "Mm, I, I, you know. But that your comment of having to go in and learn new, you know, new industries, new jargon, new topics, mm-hmm. um, that's um, uh, that's a daily uh, occurrence. Uh, one of the things I will say is that um, having the humility to say, huh, I don't know. I don't know how you do it here. Absolutely. You know, why don't you give me some insight or really just being able to um make space for people to question why they've been doing things a certain way or you know why we've always done it that way is is a a significantly um undervalued um perspective that i think we bring as as external folks um but yeah i mean i i think there is a, a an expectation that um that we should produce uh excellent work um, at, yeah, the internal stuff. I mean, so one of the things I was thinking about with mm-hmm. um, with this topic and what does it have to do with women? You know, I was I was sort of yeah, contemplating absolutely. myself like, okay, so what does this have to do with women? I was like, all right. So my perspective is there is there's this huge untapped market of external audiences where learning can be delivered. So. Yeah. Um, you know, we work with nonprofits, charities, associations, businesses, all kinds of organizations who are training non-employees. Yeah. So they might be software producers who have to train uh, users. They may be association members who are like, oh, what am I getting out of my membership? Oh, look, they're they're providing some industry or some domain-specific training. Um, and I think, to me, that's a really underserved and untapped market and where i think this um where i think this is uh, something that i would love other women to pay attention to is when i look at internal um pressures on internal uh, l and d teams i see things like um the generative AI stuff that's coming out, that chat GPT yeah. and, you know, Dolly, all the things that are um, creating, um, you know, creating an environment where um, content, you know, content creation is um, is under pressure. I think that's going to impact internal teams who will find like, oh, well, you know, I can... I, I, we don't need an internal person to create a course on equity, diversity, because some, and inclusion. Some, suddenly because... we've got chat GPT to do it for us. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So, you know, I was thinking like, okay, I think in L&D, at least in my experience, um, you know, is uh, uh, more women than men in, in terms of representation uh, of uh, internal staff that I've seen. And I worry that they're going to get squeezed out. They're going to mm-hmm. find themselves without, um, you know, with, without as much uh, leverage, um, you know, doing internal training. So, you know, I was like, oh, I, I would like to, I would like to um, provide some, some hope that there are lots of other uh, types of organizations that need 
um, expertise in L&D. And when I talk about instructional product, I think what the really interesting, um, you know, the really interesting part there is that if we think of what we build as products, mm-hmm. um, there's a whole host of things that are product related. So um, packaging, positioning, value proposition, uh, pricing, um, you know, managing the roadmap of all the features you might put in your product. It's all the crafting, isn't it? Which, which All that stuff. Which we don't and often then refer got, to, yeah. No, we don't. And then we've got this extra superpower of putting the instructional side on mm-hmm. it. So it's like, oh, it's not just create an amazing video. It's create an amazing instructionally sound video that I think, oh, that really gives um, quite a broad... Um, just sort of quite a broad area for people in L&D to explore so that they don't find themselves um, being squeezed out of their job roles because, oh, now we've got tools like AI that can do it for us. It's really interesting. I think it goes back to your content pushing element before. It is, you know, it depends. It depends on our understanding of what L&D is all about, I think. Because it's not Absolutely. it's not content pushing. Uh, yeah. I, I feel really strongly about this. I, I feel that L and D sometimes gets a, a bad rap for content pushing and just being a, a kind of servant, if you like, of the organisation. Um, when actually, you know, we we should be better than that. We should be asking questions. We should be thinking about how does this fit into what the organization is doing how can we make this as accessible as we possibly can you know it is more than creating a course content it's more than creating a course outline it's more than creating some slides uh, the best lnd is better than that it, it makes yeah. a real difference and you know that that whole kind of oh i can just get you know ai to do it for me well you can but I don't, I'm not sure AI can craft it beautifully. So it's bespoke to your organization. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, that product approach to me mm-hmm. works internally as well. Yeah, because you totally. are, you know, you're one of the things about b- building products is you're thinking about it um, from a, it's very learner-centered or user-centered. So what is, what is my product going to do for this person? What problem is it going to solve? What value is it going to bring? Um, and I think in the internal world, um, a lot of that is more on the organization. Like, what's it going to do for us as the organization, not the individual? Um, whereas I think if we were able to apply a bit more of a, a product approach, you know, I think as designers, we could also... Um, kind of tease that out like oh okay this is going to give someone confidence in you know this certain circumstance or it's going to make them more promotable or it's going to give them um, give them a performance edge uh, that they value as much as uh, the the organization or the employer does. I think it's interesting that it's more I think because when you're dealing with the external audience, I know I quite often find that somebody comes to us and says, we know what we want. So you, you, you kind of start on the back foot a little bit, whereas I think in an internal world, I'm more of a, so how do you know that? What's the evidence behind that? That's always where I start from anyway. Um, yeah. and, and then sometimes I think in, in the external world, you know, we're paying for this 
this is what we want to see, etc. And you get so far down the line sometimes, and you know, and you kind of realize that that's not what was required in the first place because you start having those conversations, you start building those relationships. Um, and I, th- I think sometimes there is, I think the best relationships I have with our external clients is where I can have a conversation about it before we even get there. So it's, yeah. you know, it really explores, you know, what's possible, what is happening in the organization, what are they seeing, what do they want? I think those conversations are much more beneficial. It means they get to a better outcome rather than when there is a discussion about, right, we've decided it's time. I always pick time management because I think it's the thing that, you know, you probably get, you know, from my world, I get asked for more than anything else, um, you know, because time management's never time management, is it? It's always something else. No. <laughs> It's usually that's around prioritization and the organization. Yeah, absolutely. There's something yeah. happening up there that's making their time management bad. But yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's that deeper stuff. Yeah, which which we well, need and to get you know, into. that's you're totally right because that it's really you're looking at that um, that relationship to validate to validate the problem. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, like instead of just jumping to here's solution. Um, you know, and, and, you know, then we fall down that content hole. Um, it's, it's validating, like, what is this? Um, what is the problem? Is it really a, a training problem? You know, should you be investing money in this? Or is there maybe something else that might be a better, uh, a better solution? And, and to me, that's, you know, that's a good product approach as well. So you're it's really, a, it's a good relationship um, approach, I would say not just a good product approach, isn't it? It's, you yeah. know, all across the board. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, and then for, you know, for the clients that we work with, when they come to us, and they're like, Oh, we want to build this course, and we want to sell it to, um, you know, whoever this this audience, um, some of that validation might look a little different. So we might do keyword research with mm-hmm. them and say, Well, let's really figure out what are people looking for? You know, I think you could do that internally, too, you know, on the, uh, in terms of, um, you know, if there's some sort of um, intranet or, you know, some play, internal community where you see people chatting or asking for things or you have some way of measuring um, uh, measuring uh, that kind of need or those sorts of questions, you could apply the same kind of principles. But doing some sort of keyword research that helps you quantify Yes, people are looking for this. This is how many of them. Um, Let's you should... help them with that. I could almost, yeah. I could almost hug you at this point, Holly, because I feel like I talk <laughs> about all this all the time. I'm like, Ugh. and it almost, do you know, it almost feels like what we're saying is that to be good internally, you kind of have to ad- adopt an external mindset. Be- Absolutely, because it's the same approach, isn't it? If you, if, yeah. you, if you want to be effective, and I've been that internal person as well as the external, and I do kind of get it, but you do need to be more questioning. Yes. What's the evidence? Yes. Always start with what's the evidence. And the reason that I like, you know, thinking about it as a product is because then we're not, like, we've all heard that that saying, you know, don't fall in love with your solution, right? Fall oh, yeah. The problem, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, be more oriented towards the problem rather than the solution. And I think that's one thing that usually product people are better at. So they do think through, you know, okay, so 
if we're going to invest energy into building this thing, you know, we'll call it a course or an instructional product, let's really do our due diligence and make sure that, you know, it's a big enough problem, that this is the right solution, that we're targeting the right people, that we're giving it to them in a format that really makes sense for them. Um, You know, we're, we're able to analyze if there was, um, you know, if it did solve the problem. And those are things that I think product people do. And, you know, L&D, I I think, could definitely learn uh, from that and apply some of those principles to what they do and not just go, oh, it's all Addy. All we have to do is, you know, analyze uh, and you know, you know, do a task analysis, <laughs> and that that's all we need to do. Jobs are good, as, as I might say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think there's a really interesting thought that L and D could learn so much from a lot of the other specialisms, and I think the two that I always fall back on in marketing, um, you know, just in the way marketing talk about and sell things. You know, you said it Absolutely. earlier on. Actually, we we need to be better at saying this is how what this is how this solves your problem. This is how it helps yep. you. Um, not here's a lovely course and it's three weeks in the Bermudas, for example. <laughs> you know, if only. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this is how it solves your problem. The way we position things to people needs to be better. Um, you know, and just from a whole communication piece, even from the sort of language we use in, in sessions, you know, when I'm facilitating, you know, and I, I never talk about, you know, learning outcomes as such I'm more about this is the practical way in which it's going to help you do your job that's the bit I'm interested in mm-hmm. and, and that becomes your your kind of handle really because that's what people want from this stuff I can talk about full, full box models to I'm blue in the face and I'm sure you can do that as well Holly but actually it doesn't mean anything to people unless we talk about you know the practical things and I think that kind of sits with this um, discussion we're having about the external space is it's just providing those things that will help people do that back in the workplace you know whether it's cheat sheets or whatever you want to call them one pages or just something that reminds them uh, of, of how to do this stuff until it becomes second nature yes yes um, and, and to me, I look at that and I'm like, see, that's a suite of products. That's the, you know, Absolutely. the, the yeah. course is its thing. Um, and then you've got these secondary companion pieces that will be, I mean, we, you and I know in the L&D world, it's performance support. And, you know, we could we can talk about those um, with our L&D colleagues. But really, if you think about it, like, okay, so now this is also like, um, you know, a companion product. What might that make us think about, um, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of this learner? Well, you know, maybe it's the learning journey, um, you know, and in, in the product world, they talk about the customer journey. So mm-hmm. where are where might they bump up against things like, okay, I don't remember how to do this or, you know, it's been a period of time since I haven't done anything. You know, in L&D, we'd be like, well, of course, because of Ebbinghouse's forgetting. <laughs> but on the product side, they'd be like, ah, well, they just need a, you know, they need a boost or they need a um that's, a reference and a that reminder. is such a good analogy holly i absolutely love that uh, that, that idea of the learning journey being as similar to the customer journey and it's yeah. almost a different mindset isn't it of thinking about right okay rather than thinking about what are all the things that i can provide and having a suite of things where is that where is the the pain points 
And actually that talking to learners, and that's why, you know, in the external space, we need to be talking more often, you know, outside of any products or anything that we're doing. What are the pain points and how can we help you with those? And what's going to work best? I think that's the other thing. I was having a discussion Mm -hmm. last week with somebody about, um, oh, I hate reading books. And I said, fine, well, don't read any of them. That's up to you. But there's plenty of other stuff you can do, (laughs) you know, that is really, you know, shorter, quicker. You'll get your main points without having to sit there and read, you know, I don't know. I don't want to pick on a particular book, but, you know, but without having to <laughs> any do book, anything, any book, any book yeah. let's say any book. Yeah. yeah. But, but there yeah. are loads of things you can do there, you know, the, 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 you know, that five minute sort of jolt that just takes you back. I mean, we do a lot of bespoke animations. I mean, we have that facility and, um, and, and they're just great for people, you know, that quick and dirty stuff where they can just watch it for five minutes and they go, right. Okay. I remember now, right. Off I go to go and do it. Yeah. And that, you know, again, talk, I feel like I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm the product gal. But if we go for it, you look at it from a product yeah. perspective, that's pa- that's packaging. Yeah. How are you packaging the product to meet their need, um, you know, at that point of need uh, so that you don't come along and go, oh, well, I have a three day course when all they really need is that the one pager or the checklist or the animation. And, you know, it's when you think about it from that, um, from that product point of view, I think you really are looking at it from value. Uh, what value are you bringing to that learner and mm-hmm. user, you know, purchaser, you know, audience, whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, I think it really gives us way more tools in the toolbox to use rather than, um, you know, rather than the opposite. And, and it does probably take a bit of courage to say, well, you know, let's let's not do that and do this instead. I think it's easier for an external person to do that than somebody internally. Um, yeah, I but you know, and sometimes you get pushback, right? Oh, what's the evidence of that? Oh, you know, I've read people like this or people like that. And you know, we should we should follow the evidence. And I think one of the one of the challenges that we have in thinking about product is that um, you know we have to balance. Um, being very audience centric with, okay, well, what is, what is all of our, you know, kind of our uh, instructional research tell us, and they might ne- not necessarily jive. Um, and not that I would say throw out the research, but, you know, you're, you're trying to help, you're trying to br- provide value or help people do things. Um, and maybe, um, you know, maybe it's not as um, formal as something you'd see in, in research, but um but then I think you if know. you if you think about research, that you've also got as part of that. I've I've just been talking about this this morning. Funnily enough, with the group, I've just been talking about the evidence based approach, I, and and one of the things because it's something I'm kind of obsessed with anyway. But one of the things it talks about is yes, you should read the literature, and and yeah, there's plenty of it, isn't there, to have a go at. Let's be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But you should also really take a look at you know what does your own experience tell you you know, we've just been talking about in the external space, it could be that you have, um, you've been out and you've worked in a lot of industries, you kind of get a feel for what works and what won't work. Because that causes you to start asking those questions, you know, about how will that be implemented? How will that be used? Have you thought about this? You know, um, 
So I think it's a combination of things. It's mainly, really, Holly, I just want to use my favourite word, which is triangulation at this point. I, I love that. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yay! <laughs> I feel like I've scored that. Um, but, you know, just that, you know, if I feel that way, if the literature says that way, if there's some data in the organisation, that's probably the right thing to do. And it, it's really... Yes you know, the context of this stuff is everything, isn't it? I've got a preference for some things I might like to do, but I'm realistic enough to know that that's not always the thing the, the organization needs. Yes, very true. Um, and, you know, I guess the other thing about context with, um, you know, sort of internal versus external mm. is, um, you know, I, I referred to the internal as more of a closed system mm. earlier. And I think that is true in many ways. And it, it, it sort of causes people to to take shortcuts mm -hmm. and to make assumptions and just say, yeah. oh, we don't need to do analysis on every project because we already know everything about our audience or, yeah. you know, we just need to get to the solution. Whereas external, um, you do have to do the work. You have to. Because you don't know. Um, <laughs> you don't know. So, I mean, some of our some of our clients, we do. Um, customer interviews mm -hmm. we do social listening like I said we do keyword research yeah. um, we do analysis we do competitive um, analysis what are others doing in this space um, and we really look at um, you know we really look at that external environment and use it to to help uh, decide a do we um, you know do we build an instructional product or not and then if the answer is yes then we go down that whole path of um, you know what is it doing what package is it in um, you know what's the um, you know sort of what's the positioning of it compared to what what's out there what's our messaging how do we how do we how do we market it? How do we let other people know? Um, it really opens up all kinds of other things that uh, I think end up getting um, somewhat shortchanged internally. They just, yeah, that, that, you know, it's like, oh, we already know that. Yeah, that shortcutting. We make, yeah, absolutely. I've seen that. You know, we, we make a lot of assumptions because I'm internal. I, we kind of know and we know that that's been done. It's fine. But I think that, you know, context is specific, but it's also specific in the moment. Totally. So just because you did it then and you got that doesn't mean that's how it is now. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. And it's, you know, it's the, I think as, as people who are external and who look at things from an external, it really, uh, you know, we can challenge assumptions. We can mm -hmm. ask the silly questions. We can, um, we can probe a little bit more, whereas I, I, I think internal folks definitely have a harder time doing that. They get more pushback, more like, oh, just, you know, build what I told you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I feel and I that. think I would, you know, <laughs> yeah. I would kind of encourage anyone who's working um, internally in L&D to think about how they might, you know, if their favorite charity or, you know, cause or whatever it was came to them and said, we need you to help build training so that we people stop doing this like I don't know let's take something like um you know recycling it's an easy yeah. one um you know your 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 favorite uh, organization is is trying to get more people to recycle uh around the world like what would how would you take your in your L&D skills and apply it to that and to me that is how 
you know, we, we learn about that external context and how it can, to some degree, force us to try, uh, you know, to try a product approach or to, to think about things as instructional products, because you have no idea if anybody is going to take up the charge and, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take your course and, you know, change the world. Uh, you know, or change, change behavior on a, a massive scale. Uh, and I think that's really where, you know, we would, um, and if we then fed that back internally, like the, these things we learned, it would elevate the craft of it so that we aren't so vulnerable to things like AI and, and um, you know, rapid templated um, content shoveling. Um, that potentially it makes the organization oh sorry I was just going to say potentially it makes the organization better as well because in that due diligence there's stuff that isn't about L&D you know there's stuff that is about the bigger picture yes and how you change behavior yeah absolutely so you know being able to feed that stuff back into the organization is partly why you you are then able to demonstrate how you add value not only in the work you're doing but the other intelligence, because I think we learn a lot in L&D that the, the organization doesn't necessarily know because people talk to us about things. They tell us stuff, you know, in the course of what we do. And I always think, you know, that that data that we have is not leveraged enough. I would agree. I would agree. Um, and yeah, I think the more, I guess for me, like if we were to sum up this <laughs> external audience yes. one. I don't know. Okay, how would you sum it up, Helen? What would you Ooh. say? It's like, what what were the key things that we want people to walk away from this with? I think the one that that I'm certainly taking away from, and I hope other people will take away from it, is starting to think in a more product minded approach, in terms of how we launch things, how we put things to people. And I think the second thing for me would be about that internal L and D thinking like external L and D start questioning more what about you holly ditto (laughs) (laughs) we are we are one mind (laughs) the whole instructional product thing is my you know it's my soapbox Mm. i like to get up and and talk about it and and share it and i I think it's such it's actually a really empowering Mm -hmm. way to look at it um so i you know i i would hope people would walk away and go Huh, I'm curious what what you know what is that um you know what is that product approach but also uh you know if there's one word that I hope people walk away from it with is value we have to be able to deliver value understand the value that we're offering um don't create content if it's not going to contribute value to that end user and really not um you know, sort of be be the advocate for that end user, that learner, uh, so that they do get value. I'm going to have that tattooed on my arm, Holly. That's I think that's where we should end it. <laughs> there we go. It's been it has been lovely to meet you and pontificate and triangulate and all of those things that we talked about. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I look forward to seeing where what others think of this topic and, and where they'd love to see that external perspective show up. And me too, Holly. Thank you. As someone who has worked on both sides of the fence, the idea that internal teams need to think like 
their external peers really struck home and there's a ton of advice in this episode for listeners in a range of roles. In the show notes we've linked to some interesting and useful content which Holly and Helen referred to. In the notes you'll also find their profiles and contact details and we want to say a massive thank you to them both for their time and contribution for this episode. In the show notes you'll also find all our contact details if you're interested in being a guest. Remember, we're actively seeking guests for both the menopause and disability episodes. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Women Talking About Learning, and next time it's the communication one. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again soon.